our text tonight is out of Isaiah chapter 29. Woe to Ariel, verse 1. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Year to year let feasts come around, yet I will distress Ariel. There shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be to me as Ariel. I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound. I will raise siege works against you. Okay, let's go back and unpack that a little bit. Woe to Ariel. Now, Ariel is the word for lion. So he's saying, woe to the lion, to the lion, woe to the lion, and then the city of David. So he's referring to, obviously, Jerusalem, and he's referring to Jerusalem as the lion. Uh, Jerusalem was in the, uh, within the tribe, the, the land of the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Judah was the, the, uh, represented by the lion. And so there's a match there. Uh, he says, year to year, let your feasts come around, do your feasts, O Jerusalem, but woe to you, because yet I will distress Ariel, I will distress Jerusalem. There shall be heaviness and sorrow, it shall be to me as Ariel. And so the distress and sorrow is going to be to God as a lion. So he's making this, he's using this two different ways. He's referring to the city as a lion, but also being distressed as being attacked by a lion. And, uh, and so he's prophesying an attack upon Israel. I will encamp against you all around. I will lay siege against you with a mound, and I will raise siege works against you. Now, since the time of Isaiah, now when Isaiah wrote this, uh, uh, there was some siege works set up against Jerusalem, uh, and we'll get to that uh, another week. Um, and God delivers. God works miraculous deliverance through that time. Um, and so it might be in reference to what was actually happening right there, but I don't think so, as we'll look at the next text, the next verses. Uh, and then later on, several decades, 70 or so years after Isaiah, uh, Babylon does come through and lays siege to Jerusalem and brings about the destruction of Jerusalem. And so it could be in reference to that. But we will see as the rest of this chapter, it's really in context of last day events. And so this may be a reference to Jerusalem once again being surrounded and siege being laid too like a lion being surrounded by a lion. And now, also, the lion of the tribe of Judah can be referenced here as well. Uh, certainly, the, the initial text, the initial context is to Jerusalem, but also the Messiah is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he was also surrounded and in the prophecy and from, from the Psalms. David said, they encamp about me, and they pierce my hands and my feet like lions. They... they uh, they attack me. Verse 4, you shall be brought down, you shall speak to the ground, your speech shall be low out of the dust. And so again, reference to the Messiah, he died, buried in the tomb. In relation to Jerusalem, again, it was laid down twice, it was destroyed by the Babylonians, and then uh, many years later, again destroyed by the Romans. But I'm wondering if God is referring here again to another time in these last days that it will be brought down to the ground and made low out of the dust. I hope not, but God knows what's best. 
Verse 5, moreover, the multitude of your foes shall be like fine dust, and the multitude of your terrible ones like chaff that passes away. Yes, it shall be in an instant suddenly. And so while he's referring to Jerusalem being laid low, he's also saying, but don't worry, your enemies that attack you and that laid siege around you, they're going to be uh, pass away. They're going to be destroyed in an instant. Uh, suddenly, they're going to become fine dust. Those terrible ones, the multitude of your foes, I'm going to make them dust as well. And that has also happened in the past, both with Babylon and with pagan Roman Empire. Verse 6, you shall be punished by the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and a great noise, with storm and tempest and the flame of a devouring fire. So the wicked, those who come upon Jerusalem, lay siege, God will devour. And we have kind of a reference to the devouring fire, the last day devouring fire. We saw that in another text in Isaiah. That he will use fire and devour the earth. We see that in Revelation as well and many other texts. Verse 7, the multitude of all the nations who fight against Ariel, reference to Jerusalem, and distress her, shall be as a dream of a night vision. Like when a hungry man dreams, and look, he eats, but he awakes and his soul is still empty. So shall be the multitude of all the nations who fight against Mount Zion. So it'll be like a dream. Yes, they're coming to attack. Yes, they're right upon us. But it'll be like a dream you wake up, and it'll be like nothing. So the multitude of all the nations, again, reference to the nations attacking God's people. And yet the the multitude of all the nations shall be like a dream that just wakes up and vanishes away and wasn't really reality. Funny reference there, Isaiah. Someone was like he's eating in his dream, but he didn't get any nourishment. Right, you know? So, verse 9, pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, and he has covered your heads, namely the seers. Now this seems to be a reference now back to Jerusalem itself. So right, he had some verses on Jerusalem having sage laid to it and being laid in the dust and being destroyed. And then the multitude that come and, and lay siege will be destroyed and vanish and Consumed. But now back to Jerusalem. Be blind and blind yourself. You don't see. And who is it? Like you're being drunk. Right? They are drunk, not with wine or stagger or, or intoxicating drink. The Bible doesn't talk so very highly about getting drunk with wine or, or intoxicating drink. But the namely, it'll be upon the prophets and the seers. So again, those are speaking to God's people. They're the ones who will be blind and blinding the people with false words and false prophecies and false hope. They say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction will come. Denying God's word, disagreeing with God's word, they're like they're blind, saying they can see. It's very interesting. Namely, the seers. 
That's why the prophets were called seers, because they could see. God gave them the ability to see into the future. They were referred to as seers. They could see what's going to happen. But the seers are going to be blind. And they won't be able to see into the future. And yet they'll continue to mutter their false prophecies and their denials of God's word and the twisting of God's word. The whole vision is to you like the words of a book that are sealed. So now in reference to true prophecies, such as Isaiah's. The whole vision, the true vision, it'll be sealed up. It'll be like we'll be blind, we can't see it. It'll be right in front of our eyes, but we won't be able to open it. A sealed book, a sealed scroll, sealed and kept from our minds. As happened to the Bible for over a thousand years during the Dark Ages, they locked it up and kept us from reading it. But God's word to be unsealed. Verse 13, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Here again, a reference to professed religiosity, professed followers of God, professed people claiming to follow the prophets, claiming to follow the seers, but they're really blind. Yeshua rebuked the Pharisees because of their blindness and commended the man who was blind who could actually see spiritually. Blind Bartimaeus crying out, they, he asked, what is all the commotion about? What is going on? And they said, Yeshua of Nazareth is coming. And he cried out, Yeshua bar David. Yeshua, son of David, have mercy on me. They told him it's Yeshua of Nazareth, but he didn't acknowledge once he knew that, okay, I know who that is. And he's not just Yeshua of Nazareth, he's Yeshua of David's line. He's Yeshua of the kingdom line. He's Yeshua the Messiah. And he cried out. Even though he couldn't see him, he couldn't see what was going on, but he knew who he was and he saw him better than all the others. And Yeshua healed his physical sight because God had already healed his spiritual sight. And he was receptive and open to that. And Yeshua rebu rebukes those who profess to see but are really blind. And here Isaiah is doing the same thing. The people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but are, their hearts are far from me. Why are their hearts far? Because they're following, because their fear toward me, so their fear towards God is a false fear. Their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. And Yeshua rebuked those who are following the commandments of men rather than the commandments of God. And today that's even more widespread. Commandments of men that people are following. Following the commandments of, of their parents in disobedience to the word of God. Following the commandments of, of their bosses in disobedience to the word of God. Following the commands of their spouses in disobedience to the word of God. Following the commands of the Supreme Court or, or some judge. The commandments of men in disobedience to the commandments of God. And God calls them blind pressures of this world, the teachings of this world, the commandments of men taught from pulpits 
in direct contrast to the word of God, to the commandments of God, saying that the commandments of God have done away with and replaced and annulled a false religiosity. Saying they love God, saying they serve God, saying they praise God. Oh God, whatever you want, I will do. Well, how about just follow the Ten Commandments? How about just follow the word of God? Oh, that's too hard. I can't do that. You know I can't do that. I'm just human. What do you want from me? But whatever you want, I will do for you. <laughs> Allow me to live in your heart and mind. Allow me to change you. Allow me to give you the power and the Holy Spirit to, to empower you and transform you, to make you whole, to give you victory, to give you power to give you a new heart, to give you a new life, to give you a new mind, to give you new desires. Let me live inside you and through you. Let me take away the carnal heart. Yeshua is begging, let me take it into myself. Let me pay the price for it. Let me remove it from you. Let me trade places with you. Allow he who knew no sin to become sin for you, that you who know no righteousness may become the righteousness of God in him. That's what he wants to do for us. He wants to literally trade places with us. Take our stony, cold, heart, filthy, corrupt, carnal, sinful, we're all born perverted. We're all born with perverted desires. And he says, but that's not the end of the story. You might have been created that way, but I didn't create you that way. <laughs> let me change you and let me rebirth you. How can that be done? How can that happen? God says, just look at the butterfly. I can make a caterpillar into a butterfly. I can certainly make you from carnal to beautiful. I can certainly make you from sinner to righteous and transform you just as clearly and distinctly and as differently as a caterpillar is from a butterfly. I can change you and change you totally. From being ugly, crawling around on legs and eating plants and destroying them, leaving filthy trails behind you, spewing out green gook if someone steps on you, and make you beautiful. You fly through the air and grace the air. And bring flowers together and pollinate them and produce more flowers instead of destroying the plants. I'll make you ability to produce more plants. By your actions, I can change you into a butterfly. Who do we want to follow? The commandments of God or the commandments of man? And that includes me. Don't follow anything I say if it's in disagreement with the word of God. The word of God is what counts. Commandments of God are what count. The truth of God's word is what counts. We have one rabbi, the heavenly rabbi. We have one teacher, 
our Lord and God, King of the universe, not man. Don't fear men. Don't fear those that can destroy the body. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body. Fear the Lord God. Behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. That's going to dry up all their lies and all their false teachings, all their hypocrisy, and God will make it plain. I believe God's making it plain in our day. Not that people are waking up and their eyes are being opened necessarily, but God is exposing the lies of this world. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us and who knows us? They work behind the scenes, try and work undercover, and they get exposed, thinking no one will see. Who can see? God sees. God knows. Can I fool God? He's got a good vantage point position where he can see everything and see through everything. He knows our motives. He knows our reasons for doing what we do. And he knows our hearts. He really knows our hearts. Not as we think we know our hearts. Our heart lies to us, tells us how good we are. God really knows our hearts, really knows our motives, really knows our desires. He knows whether we're allowing the carnal heart to live out, its, manifest itself through us, or whether we're allowing God to change us and transform us and allow his heart to be placed in us. The word of God says that he will write his laws on our hearts and in our minds. And so if he writes his laws in our hearts and in our minds, what will come out of our mouths? What will come out of our hands? What will come out of our actions? His law. His obedience. It's him writing. And then he says, and then he compels us to do it. He constrains us to do it. He empowers us to then do it. He comes inside and works from the inside out and changes us and transforms us. We can... Profess on the outward, but he sees right through. He does see. He know, does know. And he loves us. He loves us how we are. And he loves us too much to leave us how we are. He loves us how we are. And he loves us enough to change us to how he is. He created Adam and Eve in his image. And he's wanting to recreate us in his image. Adam and Eve were created in his image. We're not born in his image. But he wants to rebirth us into his image. Verse 16, surely you have things turned around. Everything's upside down. They continue to teach that we continue to be born in God's image. We're not now born in God's image. They say, we're born how we are, and that's how we are. And that's how we'll be. 
We are born with a carnal heart, and that is how we are, but that's not how we have to be. Shall the potter esteem, be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say to him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding? That's exactly what people are saying today. God didn't make me. God didn't form me. I'm a self-made man. Do things my way. The I generation, the me generation, the self generation. Evolutionism, denial of God as the creator, God our maker. Next time you're having a conversation with, a, with an evolutionist, is what you can say. You can say, basically, let me make sure I'm getting this correct. I say, I believe, that God created me. That I came from God's hand. And you believe that you were created from an ape, came from an ape, back down to slime pits. Yes, that's right. You say, well, we're both right. I'll do that again. I say I was created by God's hand, in God's uh, that God is my creator, that God is my God. And you say you were created from a monkey. We're both right. What's that? That's right. That's right. If that's what they want to think. And as they are, and as you believe, so shall you be. That's right. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. In that day, Isaiah uses this reference many times. In that day. In that day. And that's a, often a reference to the last days. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see. So earlier on he said, those that see will be blind, but there's coming a time where those who are blind will see. Those who are deaf to God's word will hear. So God will do an awakening, and the humble shall increase their joy in the Lord. The poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. So in the last days, again, as things are happening, Destruction upon the wicked and upon those following the commandments of God while saying, Lord, Lord, in hypocrisy, claiming to follow God but then not following his word. God will do an awakening as well. There'll be a splitting of the sides. There won't be any middle ground anymore. Everyone will make their decision for God or against God. Now, outwardly, they may still be saying they profess God, but they'll be obeying the commandments of men. But in their hearts, there'll only be two groups, those who obey God's commands and those who don't. Those who are filled with God's spirit, who've surrendered their hearts, who've allowed God to change them and transform them, 
have received God's forgiveness, have received God's grace to take away the evil past and the evil inclinations, have allowed God to live in, through, in them and through them, and those who want to continue to do things their way. And that's all there'll be. There'll be a final shifting of sides. Some that are blind will become seeing, and some that profess to be seeing will be made blind because of their choice of wanting to be blind to God's word. There'll be a time of joy and rejoicing, and the humble will increase. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will rise, raise you up. God will exalt us as we lay low before him, we humble ourselves before him, as we trust him, and as we follow him. For the terrible one is brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. And all who watch for iniquity are cut off. Who make a man an offender by a word. And lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. And turn aside the just by empty words. Here again, it's like Isaiah was born in our generation and reading our newspapers. In that day, again referring to last day events, the terrible ones will be brought to nothing. Everything will be exposed. You can try and wipe out your email server. It's going to be exposed. The terrible ones will be brought to nothing. The scornful one is consumed. God will have the last say. All who are looking for iniquity and participating in it, they're going to be cut off. God will cut them off, consume them, destroy them, make them ashes, devour them with fire. But what else are they doing? And not only in disobeying God, they also make a man an offender by a word. Just a word can trip you up. You become an offender because of your words. In other words, no more free speech. The words are offensive. Your word offended someone. So now you are an offender. They lay snares for him who reproves in the gate. So those who speak the word of God, those who speak the word of truth, they'll make the words of God illegal, in a sense. Can I call sin, sin anymore? They're born that way. We're I can't stop doing it. This is my life. How dare you reprove me? How dare you call out sin? Lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. Laying in wait. Turning everything upside down and turn aside just by empty words. As Andy read to us. They didn't need a justification for their for their judgment, overturning over 200 years of history and consistent rulings for a word, just empty words, turning everything upside down and making those who speak God's word, making those who speak truth an offender and being called and judged for our word. Thus says the Lord who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob 
Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now grow pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will hollow my name and hollow the Holy One of Jacob and the fear and fear the God of Israel. Again, so we see both sides, the two sides. Throughout this chapter, him laying waste to the hypocrites, Woad Ariel, for professing to follow God and not, but also those that attack and are against God, God will lay waste. God will expose both the wicked and the hypocrites. But God will give those who are humble before him eyes to see and ears to hear. He will redeem Abraham. He will redeem his people concerning the house of Jacob. Obviously, now again, a reference to Jerusalem, God's people, Israel. Jacob shall not now be ashamed. The humble will be exalted. The humble will increase. And when he sees his children the work of my hands, they will hollow my name. Hallow, hallow my name and hallow the Holy One of Jacob and fear the God of Israel. Not fearing the commandments of men like the disciples brought in and tried for a word and for speaking truth and told and commanded, do not speak in that man's name anymore. Beat them and whip them. And they said, better for us to obey the commandments of God than the commandments of man. The power of God was so much upon them, they, they felt compelled, they let them loose, and they walked out praising God that they were counted worthy to receive persecution. Counted worthy that they were beaten. Counted worthy that they were imprisoned. Counted worthy that they were tried by God and found faithful. Fearing God, fearing the God of Israel, rather than fearing the commandments of men. That's what it's going to come down to. The commandments of men or the commandments of God. We're getting very close to that time. It's ramping up more and more. The line is being drawn thicker and thicker. People are making their decisions one side or the other. Now is the time, at this time in our this year, this cycle in this time of earth's history and this time in our lives now is the time to make our decision for God or against God no more playing the hypocrite no more playing with God no more just saying Lord Lord but following him with all our heart with all our soul with all our strength with all our mind not just a feeling love of God, but a true, dedicated, committed, loving God. That'll love him and follow him no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, and will stand for the right. That's what this world is looking for. People, we true to duty, as a compass needle is to the North Pole. Not switching, you can turn it all around, that needle will point right back whose conscience is straight and narrow, whose devotion and dedication are committed to the word of God. Men who will not be bought or sold, men who, and women who will not yield, 
and the pressures of this world, but it will stand for the right, no matter what. That's what it's going to come down to. That's what it's always been. That's what the test has always been, several tests down through history. Whether with Adam and Eve or Noah or Moses' time or David's time or in Yeshua's time, down through the ages, it's always been, who will we listen to? Who will we follow? The commandments of this world, those in positions in this world, the false teachers, or the word of God. That's what it's going to come down to. And that's our appeal today. Whom will we serve, God or man? He's also who erred in spirit will come to understand and those who complained will learn doctrine. See, he changes us. We once erred, yes. Yes, we once complained. But God will change us. God will give us understanding. God will give us the ability to learn doctrine. God will give us the ability to fear him and serve him. And serve him only. It's God's presence. It's God's power. God is able to change. And that's really what the whole gospel is about. That's really what the whole Bible is about. That God is able to change us. And transform us. I don't mean you've made a mistake. We've made mistakes. God can take those mistakes. Wash them away. Wipe them away. And so change us. That we don't desire them anymore. And that by his power and his grace. We don't do it anymore either. So if any of this chapter applied to your life personally today, if you're under pressure to yield to the things of this world, whether internal pressure, your mind, fears, anxieties, worries, concerns for the future, the unknown, causing you to yield, or maybe pressure, external pressure, pressure from spouse or boss or relatives or peer pressure, society at large, pressure to not obey God, pressure to not speak out truth. That's got to strengthen you, to encompass you, to empower you, live inside you. And if you've been following the commandments of men, maybe your own commandments, your own desires, you want to surrender to God and let him change you now. You want to surrender any sins in your heart and in your life, any area that's not in harmony with God's word. He's gracious. His arms are open. He's willing to forgive. He's already forgiven. He's already paid the price. He already loves us. He already desires to set us free. Surrender that sin. Surrender that attitude. Surrender that desire. Surrender that issue. Surrender that addiction. And surrender it to God. If you've erred in the past and complained in the past, disobeyed God, been mixed in false doctrines and false teachings, 
And God's enlightening you now. You've been blind in the past. But light is starting to penetrate your soul. And you're starting to see the difference between truth and error. And you want God's truth to fill your mind and your heart. Allow him to work inside you. Live inside you. And change your life. Desiring to be more holy. Desiring it to be inside as well as outside. You're tired of just trying to be good. You're tired of just trying to be godly. And you want to actually be filled with God so that you truly are godly. In the moment when we pray, ask God to just empty yourself and to fill you with himself. You've been struggling to overcome and not gaining victory. It means you've been doing it in your own power and your own strength. Surrender it and allow God to do it. Let him work. If you've been sorrowful and you want God's joy, this chapter promises joy. The humble will increase. The sorrowful will rejoice in the Lord and experience God's joy. If you're filled with sorrow, sadness, gloom, darkness, depression, worry, fear, care, anxiety. Surrender before God. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows our name. He knows our situation. Just as surely as he, in this chapter and many others we saw, able to depict last day events thousands of years in advance. He knows our situation as well. He cares for us. And he loves us. Surrender your worries and surrender your fears to him. Let him remove it and let him fill you with his joy. Let him fill you with his peace. If any of these areas apply to you or anything else that God's speaking to your heart tonight, let us pray and let us let God work in us and upon us. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we're thankful for your everlasting love. We're thankful that you created us and you're recreating us. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for paying the price for us. Thank you for removing our sinful nature and our sinful heart and our sinful desires. Thank you for taking it upon yourself. Thank you for removing it and burying it away. Thank you for being alive, live in us, and work in us and through us. Surround us with your presence and surround us with your peace. Hold us in your hands and uphold us and strengthen us. Give us boldness to go forward in your might and your power. In Yeshua's holy name.